This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow and this is the Goop Podcast where we bring together visionaries, scientists, healers, artists, and seekers. I'm so grateful that I get to interview these extraordinary thought leaders and share their wisdom with you. And I love listening to the conversations that are led by my co-host and dear friend, Cleo Wade. Cleo is a beautiful poet and author. I deeply admire her and the way she keeps her heart open to the world. Together, we believe that engaging in open-minded, honest, and sometimes difficult conversations has the power to change our lives. All right, over to Cleo. I'm really excited to introduce today's guest on the podcast, not only because I'm a huge fan, but because she is a cherished friend of mine. Sanal Lathan is an iconic actor, producer, and director Her credits include beloved classics like Love and Basketball, Brown Sugar, and The Best Man. We got together to talk about friendship, the power of gratitude, spirituality, and how she has come to navigate different aspects of the entertainment business as a black woman. What I love the most about Sanaa is that she is a seeker. She can find a gift in pretty much any situation It is such a joy to see her fully stepping into her own power, and I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. And P.S., the entire episode does not sound like this. I recorded this intro at a later date. I'm currently in New Orleans at Jazz Festival, which if you know me, you know is something I do every year. I sing, I dance, and I have the time of my life. And I think this year I had too much fun because I completely lost my voice. Please enjoy this episode. It is amazing. And I do sound normal in the episode. Thanks, everyone. Okay, let's get to it. Well, I'm obsessed with you. The feeling is mutual. You're such an inspiration seeing you grow. And I'm so happy that you reached out because part of my intention this year is to start like coming out again and, you know, creating a new soul 
mm. community of friends. Yes. You know, I, I have a tendency to kind of be a little kind of introverted and a little bit of a hermit and, you know, just stick to my little circle, but I'm ready to kind of branch out again. I feel like I, a lot of Virgos I know had a, mm-hmm. including myself had a really yes. hard time post COVID and then feeling like, okay, how do I make new community? Because I think also for you, I imagine given your really unique upbringing, and I'd say that that upbringing goes into probably your Saturn's return. So I, I feel like that we're in our adolescence until we're 28 and so mm-hmm. we're, we're 30. And I think there's or 40, right. <laughs> and when it's that unique, you mm-hmm. really require unique circumstances to heal unique types of relationships to feel mm. safe in. And so Absolutely. do you feel like, is it instant connection that makes you feel safe with somebody or is it, Oh, I've just known them my whole life. And that's why I determined. Cause I always wonder this, especially about celebrities. Mm. How do you yeah feel out who's safe or what Mm -hmm. feels right or what doesn't? You know, even before I was a quote unquote celebrity, I was just always very gut based with my friendships. I'm such a girl's girl. I love women. Even when I was a teenager, I had two best friends. It's like every stage of my life, I always had best girlfriends. And that has kind of extended into now. I feel like with me, it is just how I feel in my gut when I'm with them. Mm. It's just simple as that. And when I don't trust that, that's where I get into trouble. I call that when I get hijacked. Yes, I get, I'm very intuitive. And it's interesting because there were friends that were around me, you know, for several years that it's such a late time to learn about boundaries, but mm. I was never taught boundaries. Mm. And I went through a period of intense therapy a couple of years before the pandemic. And one of my biggest things was about boundaries. And I have the the problem of being too much of a giver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and then what happens is then you always get hurt because if there's not an agreement and there's not reciprocation, you know, a reciprocal nature to the relationship, then you, you get hurt, but you are part of the problem because you're just an overgiver. That's part of my love language. And I think when you're high functioning and high energy, I, I wrote about this in my new book that one of the mantras for someone who has that, which I also do is, is just because something is in my capacity, doesn't make it my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so yes. I think a lot of the time we sit here and we're like, oh yeah, I could do that. I could, I could, I, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it on. Like, oh sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need me to go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what it does is we are attracting people to our capacity instead of to ourselves. Oh, that's so and that's so poetic. Oh my yeah, god, that is and so true. I remember seeing you around the time where you did that intense therapy, mm-hmm. and it was. I remember thinking after I saw you, I was in the car and I was like, I feel so happy for her because I feel that it's disruptive and really beautiful to look at your life with the most honest possible eyes mm-hmm. and every person in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when that happens, you, I think two things happen. One, you're like, whoa, these are all the people in my life that were responsible for me as a child. My relationship with them is probably all the reasons I didn't have boundaries because they thrived on a lack of boundaries. 
because that way, I mean, I know that, you know, with mentoring or having my kids or whatever, where you're like, yeah, you know, you see how easy it could be to be the person who's like, everyone just has to respect what I want to do because that's mm-hmm. how I'm feeling my power as the grown up here. Absolutely. And then you end up, and if your parents were like that, which my parents were a little bit, sorry guys, you end up attracted to people for a long time who are like that and on the receiving end. So for me specifically, my parents were Eleanor and Stan. I I grew up in the seventies in America. Mm -hmm. They were both black artists. Mm -hmm. And I think my mother was 23 when she had me and dad was 25 and they were babies. Right. And so imagine if it's hard for an artist of any color right now Mm -hmm. to make it, let alone a black person in this business, imagine what it was like, you know, in the seventies. And so they had to cope. They were, you know, chasing their dreams. They were on the road and there was a lot of addiction in my family. A lot of, you know, people are coping with their lives and and the struggle of their lives through addiction. I don't fault any addict because Mm -hmm. I know how hard this, this, this life is. And so I was left alone a lot as a child and sometimes left in the care of people who I shouldn't have been in the care of Mm -hmm. in terms of addictions. And what happens when you're a child of parents who have addictions in in whatever way, from zero to seven, you're kind of in this unconscious, hypnotic kind of state and you absorb good and bad everything Mm -hmm. around you so that you wind up creating those patterns later in life. And it's whoever you're around during that time. So it's not just mom and dad, it could be aunts or it could be the friend who takes care of you. And so for a child of an addict, what happens is instead of being focused on themselves, which they should be, they are hyper aware of the needs of mommy or daddy or whoever Mm -hmm. is the caretaker. And it trains you to become this person who is kind of in a weird way, what I, it's called codependence. It's kind of unbalanced wherever I go to this day, I'm hyper aware of other people's emotions. Yeah. You're, you're not, you're not on the map, you know, or or the way you feel that you're able to put yourself on the map is based on how it helps another to function. And it's so unconscious. And so it'll be something like I'll be in a room full of people and I'll be uncomfortable because there's something that I'm, I'm intuiting or, you know, mm-hmm. feeling empathically about this other person when I really should be focused on myself. So a lot of my boundaries were not just about, you know, physical boundaries of like, you know, not giving all your time to, you know, people or things. A lot of the boundaries that I'm, that I had to learn and are still in practice are those emotional boundaries. We're taught to just help and give and that and I do so much but then there has to be a limit you know let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners this year we launched a new goop travel series called the goop list I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. 
Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Did you have a kind of reckoning, whether it was within your family or long-term friends, once you kind of had this, because that type of information, I think is something that changes us cellularly. Like I remember the first time I read a self-help book and it Mm -hmm. changed my brain. I mean, it changed Mm -hmm. the way I thought and did, and it changed my career path and it changed everything about me. And I think that there's some things that the information is actually a download that upgrades your kind of your system. So my mom is what I call a spiritual seeker. So my whole childhood, she, she was, you know, traditional Christian to, she, she studied Santeria. She said she, she was a Muslim for a period. She was even a Scientologist way back in the day for a period. And so, you know, I just looked at her and I was like, that's mommy. Once I got into my twenties and got into the business, it's so funny, those programs kind of come into play and I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, how do I get through this brutal business? I love the acting. I love being a storyteller, but the, the, the business of Hollywood is brutal yeah. and it's, there's so much rejection at every level, but especially when you're first coming in, you're auditioning, they're saying, no, she's not this, she's not that. And that was that time when they, yeah. they could say anything. Right? right. Right. And so for me, I immediately kind of went to the spiritual seeking and mm-hmm. early on, like, I think when I was like 26 or 27, I had a a woman, a black woman named Debbie, who was kind of like a men- spiritual mentor to me. And she really helped me get through, whether it was from my relationships or, mm. and she was kind of a spiritual psychologist. Yeah. So she used all kinds of modalities. And that was kind of my beginning, my foray into this spiritual seeking that I still to- do to this day. So at that time, but that's, that's even later. When you're on the set of like family ma- matters, matters. Or, <laughs> family matters, which I could literally sing the theme song right now. Wait, that was such that I felt like I made it when I got like, that. Get, no, that, get that was beyond <laughs> like, and I'm like, what it is so funny. condition. I love family matters. Um, or and Moesha, like, I mean, but is that time, you know, that's not that age where you were with that spiritual kind of guide. Right? It was get Yeah. It, it was around, around that, time. that time. Yeah. Because I went to drama school. I went to Yale school of drama. And so it was interesting. Okay. Because when I was, that's people, all right. You know, people, people don't mention that first and foremost, but that's actually people my don't. intro about you. And it's crazy. Well, People don't mention it because the truth is in the business, you know, it's, it's for me, it's a personal pride thing for me. And I'm so grateful that I did it. So I was in undergrad at UC Berkeley. I studied English. And because I had grown up in the business, I was like, I'm not going to, I don't want to be an actor. You know, you know, you always want to do the opposite of what your parents do. And 
I was in a black theater kind of workshop after school and we put on plays by black artists and, and improv and and you're like, oh, I'm catching it. I'm yeah, catching exactly. the bug. A recruiter came, like a minority recruiter came to our class and said, you know, you guys should consider this. And I was like, if I get in, then I will can like let myself go down this mm -hmm. acting path. But like I didn't I knew how hard it was. I knew you know, especially for a black woman, you know, I, when I told my dad that I was applying to these drama schools, he literally had a tantrum. Like I had never, he's like an old, old school Philly black wow. man. Like, wow. He, he was like, please do not, do not become an actress. He's like, cause he was a director. He knew how hard it was. He's like, it doesn't yeah. matter how talented you are. There are no roles. This is, you're wow. just, you're, you're just giving yourself into a world of pain. So I was like, no dad, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go for this. And I got in. And then the great thing about that program is that by the time you graduate in three years, you've done 30 plays. Wow. So I you, didn't it's, know that. it's real, it's real practical experience of being in a character on stage in small productions, little black box theaters with new playwrights to Shakespeare on the big wow. stage. And so when you leave there, there's a confidence that I don't know that if I if I didn't have that that I would have been able to to sustain all these years because at least you have that yeah <laughs> when you're when you're being rejected every yeah. day you know so do you think that that type of you know like the nature of that business being this kind of energy of rejection do you think that you felt personally a, that one way to protect yourself spiritually was to dive into this kind of spiritual because you know I what I mm -hmm. imagine is one of the first people I interviewed for this was one of my best friends Shade, whose mom founded the National Black Theater in Harlem mm. it was, she founded it in 1968 I'm, I'm sure your parents were kind of in the same you know yeah like mm -hmm black bohemian yes. 70s intellectual group so much of what kind of Sade and I talked about was this idea of when you're taking a ch chance at something or you're doing the hard things where are the places you try to look for a soft landing mm -hmm. and so do you feel that you're like following your kind of ancestral kind of energy flow of your mom or your parents of being like, well, my mom found protection through spirituality in this way. And so do you feel that there was this kind of, you know, I watched my mom protect herself in this way. I know that when you do the hard thing, you need a soft thing somewhere. Mm. Yeah. For me, I had to make sense of it, whether it was brainwashing myself, I had to make sense of the rejection because I was such a, mm -hmm. you know, generally people who become actors are needing, you know, like the, the primal thing of needing to be seen and validation and love, highly right? It all comes from highly sensitive. Highly sensitive. That's how y'all access all of that emotion. Exactly. And so I needed to find a way through it. It's funny because I wound up going to her because I was in love with this guy. And I shouldn't have been in love with him, but I was like, I want to have him, you know, and he was kind of like in and out and in and out of my life. And I just felt like so off balance and was so in love. And I went to her for help just to get on balance with that. And then I wound up just, you know, continuing to talk to her. She, for instance, this is like one of the big kind of manifestations of that coaching when I was up for love and basketball 
it was a very grueling process. The the director, Gina, who's a good friend of mine, Spike Lee told her, no, you need to get a basketball player who can act as opposed to an actor who can play basketball. Mm-hmm. Like he had done in He Got Game, right? Yeah. With Ray Allen. And, you know, she, this is her mentor. This is like, you know, she, she, so basically I had done an actual staged reading last minute of the screenplay years before she got her deal. And the reading was so good because I was from theater. I had done like yes. hundred, you know. Yeah. She couldn't keep that performance out of her mind. So she, when she finally did get the deal a couple of years later, she brought me in. But I was, I couldn't even hold a basketball. And so there, the, the, you're like, the, I'm a theater kid. Exactly. <laughs> there were two parts to the audition. There was the basketball audition where you would go and you would like dribble and do a, you know, free throw and a layup and, you know, do some defense. And that was just like another language to me. And then the acting would, where you would do scenes and generally she would do it in two days. And it was like, I was amazing at the acting. And then I would go and it was just like, disaster right and so this process went on they kept bringing me back in because she couldn't get my performance out of her head and all the while I was training right Mm -hmm. and it went on and on and on and on and then it just went on too long and Mm -hmm. everybody including my agents were like please drop out you know even they were like this is abusive she doesn't want you drop out but it was Debbie my mentor who was like no you don't what are you going to do instead you like to work out. That's a great workout Mm. and you love to act. So just do it for that. Forget about the result. Mm. As soon as you switch to that kind of energy, things, you know, come. And that, that's what, if any manifestor would say is that they, you know, you can't manifesting isn't saying I want this, 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 and this. It's Mm -hmm. saying, I want this. I feel it belongs to me. I'll make space for it to flow towards me it's out there. That's what, that's what I want. And the energy will bring it into me as I go it's towards so it. so true. Rather than that, that tight clenching energy, that tight, yes, which is it, not attractive in anywhere really. Like, and, and I don't mean very, that in beauty attraction. It's not I mean, attra- yeah. Right. That, cl- but, and it's so hard when you want something badly. Of course. And so that and was, the world tells you just hold on really hold tight, on work clench, harder. Get, yeah. Grind, mm-hmm. grind, grind mm-hmm. down. And, and, and in that there's no space for that ease and that kind of softness that makes people want to be around you. That feels like that relaxing energy. I became obsessed with Abraham Hicks, mm, yes. which is, you know, I kind of, you forgot that. Yeah. 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 It during that time. And so that was kind of, that was great. I had all her her cassette tapes. <laughs> that was before. That was before. Even it was even before CDs. I could like imagine you with like a Walkman with your tape in on set, <laughs> listening to everyone thinks you're listening to probably some rap song about you. Exactly. <laughs> you're like listening to Abraham. Hansen. Abraham. That's very. I, had, I, mean, I remember it was like a huge thing. The car that I got for many years before Love and Basketball. I was I was just working. I was doing like guest stars here and there. And I had a 91 Honda Accord and we called her, I was named my cars and her name was La Honda. <laughs> La Honda. And so La Honda was amazing. She got me from place to place. I loved her. But then it was like, you know, I think I had done Best Man and I had done like. Oh my God. I, had, I, d- I just watched me and my friend did? Katie Lee watched the, the <laughs> reboot or the, the, the series. Yes, it the is. Theory. 
so good. So I love oh how my people love it. God. When people try to bring things back, it does not always. No, we were terrified. It we were was perfection. And it was like our big treat to ourselves at the end of every, every week. That makes me feel so good because like, you know, what is it for if it doesn't make people feel good, you know? Oh. But anyway, I was okay, doing sorry, the go back. first, the, it was, it was, I had already done the first best man. I had done a series and at like, this you know, part for, are you over that heartbreak you were going through that? No, that I was going through it. It went on for many it. years. It went on for many years, but, um, I, I want to, I wound up being in a real relationship with him and it was, you know, the red yeah. flags were true, but, really? but, uh, yeah, red flags are always true. So, so I, in my mind was like, I should, you know, LaHonda, LaHonda gets me from place to place, but you know, she's a 91, like she's a Honda Accord. And I, and I wanted so badly that BMW truck, mm. the X5, no, no, not even the, yeah, the BMW truck. And I remember kind of having a little shame about LaHonda, which I feel bad about now. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't want to hurt her feelings. And then, you know, the Abraham and then, and, and Debbie is like that. It's the same thing that we're talking about. Once I switched it and I was like, every day I got into LaHonda and I was like, I love you, LaHonda. Thank you for getting me from place mm -hmm. to place. And you're so pretty and gray, whatever it was. <laughs> as soon as I surrendered into that, I was able to afford the next thing, yeah. you know, that's the energy of gratitude, you know, where you're energy of gratitude, you know, mm -hmm. where you take, you could take anything and turn it into a gratitude party. And in doing that, you mm -hmm. are able to kind of generate this energy of more can come to me, you know? So if you're at the sink, washing the dishes, and instead of being like, I can't believe I have to wash these fucking dishes. Yeah. You're like, you know what? I'm so grateful I got to eat tonight. And like, mm -hmm. what, a, what a joy to be able to use my hands to do this and have a break from my phone and everything else to be in my thoughts with this routine. And done. Do you know? And, and that then... also gratitude brings you to your life in the present. We're so not present and all we know that all suffering comes from not being present. So yeah. you can only be, this is power of now. You can yeah. only be suffering if you're in the future thinking yeah. about something or in the past, if you're really yeah. present, there's only peace. And so that's why gratitude is like such a, Anchor. it's an active practice. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And so you're going to the, you're doing the best man. Yeah, you've, I'm doing the, you've yeah, done love is, and basketball, right? right no, now? I have not done love and basketball. Oh. I did the best man, which was so great and exciting to meet all those people who, you know, have gone on to become like friends that have become family over the last 20 years, which is so crazy. Very um, iconic friendships. Yeah. But what I guess I wonder is, do you believe in that thing of that when people say that there's a kind of trauma that forms when someone becomes famous or is in that intense spotlight, and then they have to get past that later? Do you know what I mean? I can see that. And the way that my, my, my trajectory was, was not ever overnight. Ever. It was you know, very slow and steady, which I feel like is a, a softer, easier road. Mm. Even after I did Love and Basketball, which, you know, you would say that starring in a studio movie, which now is like a, it's like a classic. It didn't, it was like, it, there was no overnight. 
I remember hiring a publicist and she was like, what are your next jobs? And I said, I don't know. And she, she looked at me and she was stunned. She was like, I've never met an actor who starred in a studio movie who didn't have jobs lined up. And I was like, well, you know, were they this color? <laughs> right, right. You know, that was the business that I was, that I grew up in, which is, you know, there were five of us and I knew all of them. And there were two jobs every year, you know what I mean? And yeah. up until recently, wow, until before streaming and Black right. Lives Matter and the pandemic and yeah. Me Too and Time's Up, literally it's, 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 Hollywood is just so late and there's still so much progress to be made. So for me, there were times, even after Love and Basketball, where I didn't work for a year. So I never really, even to this day, it was a slow build. So I don't know if there was trauma. There was, you know, in that instant part of my spiritual seeking and finding meaning in this thing that I was so in love with acting was really seeing the impact that it has on human beings, like the, mm-hmm. the, the deep impact, because especially in America, this country, we don't honor the, the craft of acting. Yeah. That's why there's so many fabulous people, you know, coming over from England, I feel like there's a, a, a different respect for the actual craft. But for me, just like what you just said, being reflected is so important to your self-esteem and your self-worth. And we know, I know that just like what I was saying from the time you are a child, that what you see and what you take in is a, a direct af- effect on who you're gonna be, what limitations you have on your life, what you think is possible, if you don't see yourself, imagine, you know, the little brown girl who I grew up in a world, even just, you know, I don't, I'm not that old, where I didn't never saw myself. Every, every Barbie, every television show, commercial billboard was of somebody who didn't look like me. What does that do to you over time? And so that's it, this work of, of being, you know, telling these stories and being on screen, you know, and I think I'm not into always being morally pure as a as a black artist I feel like that can be a little bit of a a limitation as well like I want us to be able to show the rainbow the the full spectrum of humanity good and bad and then only when you're doing that are you able to truly honor all the little girls and boys that look like you and so that they can raise up with that feeling of I don't know. It's like a feeling of worth that comes through reflection. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Did you ever feel a pressure to be like a role model? Because I think sometimes this kind of role model culture is the uh, antithesis of artist culture, which is, yeah. is really hard because yes. artists artists really need freedom. And I think that role models, it's that's that's a tough that's it's a it's a very specific decision to make. And then sometimes society puts it on you based on your accomplishments. And so I I I mean I imagine that in the world you'd sit in a meeting or sit anywhere else and be like, well, Sana, you're a role model. So you've got to, you're, you know, mm-hmm. you and Gabrielle Union. And, and, and I feel that there's this 
what mm-hmm. I'm loving about this kind of renaissance of you and Regina and Nia Long and, and mm-hmm. is, is that you're also, f- I feel freer than ever. You know, mm-hmm. there's this real liberatory energy around all of you. I love um, that. And I love, and it's, it's amazing. I feel it in your interviews. I feel it in, in, in their interviews. When I hear them talking or doing, I feel it mm-hmm. in your fashion. I feel in everything where I'm like, wow, you know, they're a real kind of this walking example of just like, I'm going to be the freest black woman you've ever seen. And, and that's yeah. what I really feel from y'all energetically. I right love now. that you feel that. And Nia and I have similar, there's a similar childhood experience in that her mom is a painter and a singer and her father was a poet. Mm. And so, you know, what we have presented, what black America looks like is so vast. My childhood was very hippie, bohemian, you know, and you're I had to, <laughs> I'm such a hippie, you know, Gabrielle, I'm in, in Gabrielle's phone book as hippie baby. because I'm just all love and you know I I get it from my mom I mean when I was a little girl and I've had girls over and mom would be walking around naked I was like mommy please put some clothes on she was like they're just girls (laughs) you know (laughs) you know so definitely we're not we are all and so I my my task for myself is to come into who I really really am authentically I think all good things come from that And sometimes that's not being like everybody else. That's being, you know, really finding out who I am, what is my life purpose and trying to live by that as opposed to some outside thing of being a role role model. It's not real. It's Mm. like the internet is not real, you know, that whole. And so when you're still, as I imagine, you're still having to walk into rooms and be the only black woman in the room Mm -hmm. or at Mm -hmm. the table or in the meeting do you feel that your kind of lifelong spiritual work is kind of what helps to maintain a sense of self or rootedness or, or are you just at this place where you're just like, I've earned all my confidence. I've, I've done it all. I've seen it all. You're directing. That now. was There's, never, you know, that was never a thing for me because I went, so I had, I went to, there was maybe from third to eighth grade. I went to a private school where I was the only black girl in the whole school. So I learned real quick and then I would go, you know, back to Harlem where, you know, my mother grew up and was raised in the Bronx and I would be the black girl who they'd be like, oh, why you talk like that? Ugh, you, you sound right. like you white. You sound right. like a white girl. You think right. you're so stuck up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All of that. So I had to, that's probably the actor in me. I had to be fine in both. And so that was my childhood throughout, even at Yale, I was the only black girl in the class. At that time, they would only accept one black girl in 16. So that's, you know, that's the, that's a road for a lot of people of color. <laughs> yeah. I, I think about that a lot because being mixed race, you're kind of like, you're never a white girl. And mm-hmm. then, and, and, and with black community, you are actually always black and you find that you're, you're just, you are never white, but you are, and you have to live with the acknowledgement that you don't have the same black experience as a way to respect the black experience and and, Mm -hmm. in the varied ways that people live through and with with their their with with blackness Mm -hmm. and so I was like I one of the things I feel it taught me was like I just have to be clear I can only be clear like there was only be clear idea of like well I 
there's not a space I totally get to fall into. And there's no like, oh, you walk into a room and you'll ever be with like, you know, 10,000 people who look like you, you know, or have that kind of experience. And so in that, do you feel that you're like, right away, I was just Sanaa and I just like had to be that every where I, I just, I didn't know anything different in yeah. my upbringing. You know, my parents were really good about, you know, making sure I was connected to, I would go to all black camps in the hood, you know, I was, it was a very diverse upbringing. And then I'd go to a camp, summer camp where it's like, you know, archery and horseback riding, right. <laughs> you know, and, and, wow. and sleeping in sleeping bags. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And and so because of that, I, I feel like I have a comfort of going between. Yeah. Cause it's just, it was all I ever knew. And being, and being the only one. Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with Angie Thomas during the pandemic. I I love her what it was for, but I loved her. We did like a panel together and she was talking about how excited she was that you were directing on the come up. Mm -hmm. And how was that? You know, it's speaking of just kind of these like power shifts and what was that like? And did it feel so amazing to be able to create a new, even environment? Yeah. That was an example of something that I felt like was a destiny moment because I knew that I would eventually direct because even before I admitted to myself I wanted to act, I always said I want to be a director like my dad when I grow up, mm. when I was like a teenager. And but then acting was just so all consuming. And when I was coming up there, you know, that period, you didn't see a lot of actresses, successful actresses also directing. It was just it was just you had to choose a lane. So I just started paying attention on sets. Mm. And, you know, after many years of starring in movies where you're there every day, you're having more experience than three film schools yeah. if you pay attention. And yeah. so in the pandemic, in the actual lockdown, I got offered a short that would be directed remotely in my house. And I said, you know what? I'm going to direct it. I will mm. do the short. They provide the editor for you and they provide like an iPhone kit. And I decided, no, I'm not going to do an iPhone kit. I'm going to actually co-produce it with them. And I got a skeleton crew. I got a DP and a real camera. Wow. And I played a-, a Oh, the Zoom therapist. Th- yes, the Zoom uh, yeah, therapist. So an OCD Zoom therapist who has OCD herself. So she's on, on, on wow. Zoom all day during the pandemic. And then she gets a Postmates delivery to her door that she did not order. And it's a dog. And she does not like dogs. And it, the, the dog comes her unlikely therapist at the end. Mm-hmm. So it's like a 20 minute short. And it was just an experiment. And I showed it to my agents and they were like, this is good. Can we start submitting you? And I was like, okay. I thought it would be a couple of years down the line. And then within a matter of weeks, I got the opportunity to pitch for oh, On the Come oh. Up, and which I had never done before. I didn't know the process. I what is Gina- the process? Exactly. I called Gina Prince Bythewood, you know, <laughs> my, my girl. And she broke it down for me. You have to do a deck. I did like a 40 page deck of showing your vision of, of what, you know, the story means to you, how it's going to look, how it's going to be shot from casting to costumes to music. This was, you know, this was hip hop about a little girl poet, you know, and mm-hmm. set in the hip hop world. So all of those things. It's like an art project. It's a, it's, it was fun. 
I don't You're like my crafting skills get to it, come out. Yeah. And then you just go through the first round and you pitch it to people. It's like a presentation. And then if you pass that round, you go to the second round and there's more people in the room. And this was all during the pandemic. So everything was on wow. Zoom. Oh, wow. It was during the lockdown. Like the actual, you know, I pitched over like, I don't know, like a two, three month period. I was up against like three other directors and I got the job and it was, it was the first time I cried since Love and Basketball, since getting the call. for. Oh Love my God. So, and it was just so amazing. It felt so natural to me. I was like, oh, this is part of what I'm supposed to be doing. Wow. And so it was such did, a joy. Did you really fall in love with it? Did you, and you loved the process and everything? 100%. You'll do it again. Every aspect from pre-production to, to develop, even developing the script to being on set, working with the actors, and then even the editing process. Every day was a new discovery. I surrounded myself with amazing artists and we had a happy set. And the movie, you know, premiered at Toronto. So yeah, it's on Paramount Plus, right? It's on Paramount Plus. It's yep. on, I think you can get it on Apple TV or Amazon Prime. I also feel that your many followers will be very mm-hmm. upset if I don't ask you mm-hmm. why you look so pretty all the time. Why do you look so good? <laughs> why it's like, you, what, even you- right now I'm like looking at you and, and this Thankfully for me, goes nowhere. This is this. We are on Zoom, and I can see Sana, and she is literally a goddess. And you feel like embarrassed to even have to have a face you're, when you look at her. Whatever. And so you have, you're like, but like, what's the what is the vibe? What are you doing? What's the routine? Are you is it? Are you keeping it really simple? Is it that you had twenty things you put on your face every day? Is it that you do two? Is there what's going on here? <laughs> So I'm wearing my Curb Your Enthusiasm wig. Oh, oh my <laughs> I, God. I have, I have nappy I just saw it. I wanted here. to cry when I saw <laughs> that. It was the <laughs> last episode. Next, yeah, it'll be on next next year, which was a fun look. It was fun. I had so much fun. We laughed so much. But okay, you're going to roll your eyes. But I really, truly believe that the ins- as you as you age, the inside starts to show on the outside. So what you are on mm-hmm. the inside... So, you know, if you're a vain person, then it, it pays to work on yourself and have love and compassion and kindness within yourself. That is, the, I think, the truth. I think for me, you know, I mean, it's all the things. I don't have any products in particular, but one of my, you know, there was a period where I was just in sweats and kind of, you know, that after that pandemic period yeah. where you're, it's like you forget yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know just always downplaying and I think that there's something to there's honor in adorning yourself that goes back to our African mm-hmm. roots yeah and so I try to think about that there's like this this culture of like you know like being under no celebrate this body that you're in celebrate put on a little for me that looks like yeah. instead of wearing my nappy braids today which would have been fine because it's kind of in now, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was me being like, okay, this, I just want to look a little bit more presentable. I put on this shirt instead of yeah. having on my hoodie. Even if I'm going to the grocery store, I'm, I'm just adorning myself as an honor, like yeah. our ancestors did. And yeah. so that's all it is. And probably maybe I should be better about just posting things when I look, you know, like everybody else. It's not like, you know, come on. 
you know, know but like, I feel knows. like with with social media, when you have millions of followers, it's just like it's forever. Like whatever mm-hmm. is on there is forever. So, yeah. how has that? Are you enjoying? Do you enjoy social media? I actually er- erase the apps on my phone yeah. every day. Yeah, I do that too. If, if I don't, my thumb will just open it, and you go into that black hole. I thought I- that someone should have done a study about the swipe being the addictive thing. It's the perfect storm of things. It's when you post, you're checking, you're checking mm-hmm. for likes. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't get lights, you're checking. It's creating that neural pathway. It's also the thing that's really the thing that I hate about it. And I remember the time when we didn't know what everybody was doing. Even my friends, we're not supposed to know what everybody is yeah. doing. We're yeah. supposed to be focused on our life. And you cannot have a reaction when you're constantly seeing what everybody else is doing, I just don't, it's not healthy. And so yeah, there's, there's that. There's so this, I give myself um, time limits, yeah. which I break often, but you know, I have to put boundaries on that yeah. <laughs> on social media now. Well, it's, it's also <laughs> hard because I think it's the opposite case for, to create art and be in your imagination. It reminds me of like, you know, I, I really purposefully don't, you know, I have these two small kids and I just, I don't put them in activities all day. Like a lot of people like to be like, they have this and this. And I'm like, no, kids need to be bored. You have to create space for imagination and you have Mm -hmm. to create space for ideas. And and you also have to create the space for healing. Like, I don't know if you ever Mm -hmm. have that one moment where you're kind of like on a long walk about... 25 minutes in, because I'm not on my phone on the walk, you feel this shift where this kind of healing energy could even come over you because transcendence. Yes. Transcendence. Yeah. You've repaced. Yes. And it's, it's, it's actually essential to our brains and the health of our brains. So the more you can be, people think, you know, it's like a catchphrase. You should meditate. People don't really understand what that is. But when you realize that it actually has real, in the moment, just joyful, peaceful benefits, but down the line, it's like muscles for your brain. You know, you do it. I I just restarted my meditation process. I kind of fell off for like a year or two. I believe any meditation will do this for you. But for me, I learned TM. Yeah. A long time ago, I had a stalker and I had a best friend just die from like a cold. This is way before COVID and just a very stressful year where I wasn't feeling any of the emotions. And then I started having panic attacks like three, four, five times a day. I didn't know what they were. And a friend of mine turned me on to TM and I learned it. It's a four day training. And the day I started doing it, my panic, like I had the, the real evidence it, wow. they went away. And I was having three to five for like a, you know, a couple months a day. Wow. And then I became obsessed. I'm like, what is this? And then and so I just do you started... feel like you fell off during kind of pandemic time? Yeah. It's cause it feels like, it's not like a workout where you're sweaty after, but it's the kind of thing of like, where you brush your teeth every day. It's like, you're going to have teeth later. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, the subtle shift for me, it was a big shift because I was in, I was in crisis, Yeah. but now I'm bringing it back in. 
It was also interesting. I, I found during the pandemic, I think so many people fell off of whatever. And, and even though this word is so overused, but like their self-care mm-hmm. be, routines because they, they didn't work. Like, you know, the pandemic was so specific and so hard and so strange. Yeah. So isolating and, and, and kind of, so I think really interrupted our brains with all of these like really hard ideas and thoughts. And so I feel like it threw people off because it was so overwhelming. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, okay, I haven't exercised in like a year and a half or whatever, or I haven't done the yoga or the one thing I know helps me so much. Mm -hmm. And, and we're still, I feel like we're still recovering from that. Oh, of course. I mean, it's like the world is different too. I mean, every time you turn on the news, it's so traumatic. It's like, where, what, what is going on? And so whatever you can do to create that, that what? escape for yourself. I'm really big on meditation. You can go online and literally Google meditation. And there's so many, and they all have the same purpose. It could be a walk in nature like you do for mm-hmm. yourself. But you gotta you gotta be present and mindful. You can't be on your phone and talking to somebody. You know, it's yeah, yeah. it's really being mindful. Do you do you have any other kind of rituals that help to kind of like calm or like mm-hmm. melt your nervous system? So whether mm-hmm. it's like, oh, if you've been running around all day or you found you were on your phone way too much mm-hmm. that day and you're like, I need to like reorient and get back in the real world and get back in my body. I have like a huge toolbox, but the first thing that comes to mind is my mother is a breathwork practitioner. Her particular form of breathwork is three-part. It's a three-part breathwork. And the classes usually go on for like 45 minutes, but she taught me a seven-minute version. And so when I'm particularly stressed, it completely gets you out of your mind and supposedly releases trauma, like Mm. without you even thinking, doing anything, because you're getting into this almost like hyperventilated state and it opens up. I don't know how it does it, but you can do anything for seven minutes. I just put my timer on. Sometimes I just get on my bed and um, turn off my phone and put on my timer and do the breath works. Sometimes you end up laughing, crying, and it's a great emotional release. And there was a period last year where I was working on a particularly dark role where I just Mm -hmm. said, okay, I'm going to do it every day. And I did it every day and it just felt, it's great. Wow. What is kind of bringing you joy right now? Hmm. In, In even the smallest or the biggest ways? Right now I'm staying at a friend's house and I am enjoying just kind of doing what we had talked about I give myself my time to work in the morning and my period of Zooms. And then I'm trying to just do nothing, be in the pool for hours. I love this. I love talking with girlfriends and, you know, talking about the meaning of life and how we deal. This is fun Mm -hmm. for me. You're an earth mother. I'm such a Virgo. I want to say thank you so much for making the time. I'm really grateful. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Sanaa Lathan. Her directorial debut on The Come Up is streaming now, and I can't wait to see what she does next. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes.
which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Goop Podcast.